0: Welcome to a new episode of Sauce of the Scary. Derek Zhu, Jeff Wright here with you. Uh, lots to talk about this week, so let's just go right ahead and jump right into everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. Actually, you know what, Jeff? I'm being uh, I'm being rude, man. How are you?
1: I didn't take it as rude at all. We got a bunch of trailers to cover. Uh, I'm I'm doing okay, man. I got a lingering cough, but. It's fall break. I'm a little bit well-rested. I'm getting to talk about a movie I enjoyed with a good buddy of mine. So, hey, living the dream.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. As a matter of fact, when we get to that movie, I've got a bone to pick with you about your other podcast. So get okay. ready for that. All right. So let's, uh, let's hit these trailers real quick, man. We'll knock them out. And i tell you what. Uh, I'm going to go in a different order than what we've got on our call sheet, so okay. just bear, bear with me. We're going to start with Good Omens. Uh, it's a tale of bungling—excuse uh, me, a tale of the bungling of Armageddon that features an angel, a demon, and an 11-year-old antichrist and a doomsaying witch. And this stars Michael Sheen
1: and David Tennant. Is Kevin Smith involved?
0: <laughs> no, Alanis More isn't in it, so <laughs>
1: um I don't know, man. As long as as long as the big Kev isn't, you know, if this isn't one of his projects, I might consider this. What made yeah. you put it on the list? I mean, I'm assuming there was something about the trailer that grabbed your attention.
0: Uh well, honestly, man, it, it was uh, you know, sometimes we get some some flack on our lack of horror. Um, <laughs> or lack of horror trailers on this on this show. So, I saw the poster for it, and saw the name of it, and then saw the the screenshot of the trailer that has an angel with black wings and an angel with good uh, excuse me with white wings. And I was like, well, let's try it. Um, it's not a horror picture; it's more of a comedy or a fantasy. Um, but you know, I thought if uh, if there's any uh, dogma people out there, then maybe this is something that might uh, tickle that. That itch for him. Scratch that itch for him. Tickle that? I don't know.
1: It's late. It's going to do something for him. Yeah. All right. All right. So I'm pulling this up. Right now. Oh, okay. So mini series, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be on Amazon Prime.
1: Okay. Yeah. Hey, look, I don't know. I don't know anything that any of these other people ha- in this movie have done, but I'm in for some supernatural stuff. So, well, you uh, know Tennant. What's Tenant from? Uh,
0: David Tennant was in,
1: um,
0: golly, man. He was in Doctor Who, but he was also in that updated Fright Night.
1: Oh, yeah. Hey, he played the Purple Man in uh, Jessica Jones as well. Yeah, good call. Yeah, that's the other thing. Now I'm not crazy about that Jessica Jones series, but I thought he was really good as like, I so want to punch this guy right now.
0: Yeah, I thought he was probably (laughs) one of the better Marvel villains that we've seen.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I co-signed that for sure. So he's playing a character named Crowley. Uh, I love Supernatural, and one of the best things about that show is the character Crowley and the actor who plays it so as long as they step you know they don't they don't step on my supernatural love i'm i'm totally willing to give this a run
0: yeah and there's possibly john hamm is in this hmm. i'm not i just saw on their imdb page john hamm was in like some kind of uh, yeah, yeah, he plays Gabriel. He plays the Archangel Gabriel in one of the episodes.
1: So, uh, that's good casting. He has an angelic chin. So, uh, yeah, good casting. Good casting. I assume the real Archangel Gabriel is like, yeah, appreciate that.
0: <laughs> hey, and by the way, while we're on the subject of chins and John Ham, would you be all in on a John Ham Batman? I know we've talked about this before, but there's a lot of like rumored innuendo going around right now that he is, he is, uh, scrounging for it. So,
1: you know, John is probably a little bit age wise past the demographic I would pick. Um, but how do you argue with that? And I mean, you know, Affleck did a really credible Batman when he was a little bit older than I thought the character should be. I mean, truth be told, I would like to see Ham as a Superman. I don't want to chase Henry Cavill off. I think Henry is perfect for that role. But right. I think even more than Batman, Cavill has a look for a Superman. So, I mean, I guess that's a long mean, way of me you saying You mean jo- John Ham? John hmm. Ham has a look for Superman? Yeah, I'm not sure what I said there. So, you said me. Cavill? Oh yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Cavill has a look too, but since we're supposed to be talking about John Ham, he definitely does. <laughs> right. I would have loved yeah. him for Captain Marvel or Shazam. So it's a long way of me saying, sure, if they want to do that, go for it. The guy can act. I'm assuming with makeup and him getting into shape and everything, he can look the part. So cool. Just just go for it. Yeah. You, you yeah. disagree or are you on board with that too?
0: No, I'm on board with it, man. I, I'm the same way with you. I'd rather they go in a different direction age wise. Um, I want the next Batman to be Batman for the next 10 to 15 years. Like sure. I want the next Batman to be Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. Um, but if uh, if John Ham wants to do like a one off, or or even if they need uh, a Batman in this Joker movie, which it sounds like that they're they're not going to, it sounds like the Waynes are going to be in it. But uh, the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix, I mean, um, if you know something like that, even if it's just a one
1: off, I'd like to see. I'd like to see John Ham just be a superhero. I mean, the the dude's too good looking to not be right. Absolutely, and he, I mean. I guess he looks more Bruce Wayne even than Batman. Uh, as weird as that sounds, yeah. he he very much is the debonair, debonair playboy archetype. I, I mean, I know it's weird for me to talk about. It. He has the perfect Dick Tracy chin, though. He needs. I mean, he looks like the Ooh. Superman of the 1950s. So, so yeah. he needs to play like literally Dick Tracy or suit just yeah. somebody with a cast iron jaw. Man, Dick Tracy would be really good for John Ham. Yes, and I mean even if you think back to um, what was the guy who played him in the '90s, um, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. I mean, you know, Warren Beatty had a reputation as being a ladies' man, but other than that, who's more Warren Beatty right now than John Hamm? So that's true. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of stuff I would cast John Hamm for. I'm a fan. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's also crazy to me that Al Pacino was in
1: Dick Tracy. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Okay. He's timeless, dude.
0: Yeah, he is is also I know I' probably bring this up every time but um I have a I have a filter on my computer from the good place yeah a TV show mm-hmm. and it always it always uh turns profanity into different words like uh, the s word is shirt or the f word is fork um so so I pulled up dick Tracy and it's dink Tracy
1: nice keep it classy yeah yeah, yeah man I mean it's just keeping your mind pure right
0: exactly exactly. So, all right, so Good Omens comes out in 2019. I'm not for sure what the start date is on that bad boy, but you can catch it and apparently neither does IMDb. But you can catch it on Amazon Prime at the beginning or well sometime next year.
1: Yeah, Amazon will let you know. They they're good about getting their stuff out in advertisement, so. Yeah. Oh, it's written by Neil Gaiman. Um uh he did the screenplay, so yeah, man. I'm I'm more interested in that the more I learn about it. Okay. It, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that guy. He is really good.
1: Mhm. You ever read American Gods? Um I have not. There's I think it's been adapted into a TV show on HBO. I've not watched it, but the book's really good. I think you'd enjoy it. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, and he apparently he apparently did the uh characters for Lucifer, which is actually turned into one of my favorite TV shows. So,
1: oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, Neil Gaiman's written some really impressive stuff. Sandman was the big comic book breakthrough for him, but he's just got a fertile imagination. I, I generally like yeah. the stuff he's got his hands on.
0: Cool. So there you go. So, yet another reason to keep that on the radar. So, good omens next year. Uh, number two, Rocket Man the story of Elton John's life from his years as a prodigy at the Royal Academy of Music through his influential and enduring music partnership with Bernie Tapin.
2: Topin.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm there opening that. I love Elton John. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Maybe my favorite song. Um, Oh, that's bold. Yeah. I love that song. It, it's on the short list for sure. So yeah, sign me up for this, man. I mean, Elton, Elton is a character and, just seems like he will make for a great retrospective movie. So, and I mean, really the, the guy who they cast, uh, to play him, uh, Taron is it Edgerton?
0: I think it's Edgerton.
1: Edgerton. The, the, the steel that came out not too long ago from that movie, he looks just like a young Elton John. So
0: yeah, man, he, he does a great job in this. Uh, I mean, just from the trailer, he's, he looks, I mean, he looks like he's encompassed Elton John. So We've got some really good biopics coming out. You know, uh, the Freddie Mercury Queen one is coming out in November, and then this one comes out, I guess, next year. Yeah, uh, May of 2019.
1: Yeah, I, who knows? Maybe this is a golden age for rock and roll biopics. I'm trying to think who I would most like to see the next one be. But uh, th- those two you mentioned, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Man, are if, if I'm healthy and able and not constrained against my will, I'm there open and not just to go ahead yeah. and take my – AMC A list reservation.
0: Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Do you know that? Uh, Do you know that Chadwick Boseman did a James Brown biopic not too long ago?
1: No, I did not. I will try to track that down.
0: Yeah, uh, let me uh, let me see if I can find it. It's called Get On Up. Hmm. And Boseman, Boseman of course plays James Brown in that. Did you know that? Ja- uh, <laughs> did you know that James Brown? Did you know that Chadwick Boseman also played? Um, ah, come on, man, Jackie Robinson in '42.
1: Gosh, that's right. I had forgotten it, but yeah, yeah, I did know that. I did know that.
0: Did you know that 42 was shot in Chattanooga, Tennessee?
1: I did not know
0: that. Yeah. And did you know that uh, Derek Zoo got offered a part as an extra and had to turn it down because his work wouldn't let him off that day?
1: Oh, dude. Oh, that's the darkest timeline. I'm sorry. Yeah. Isn't that rough? Yeah. I could have been uh, in Wakanda. Yep. Oh, well uh chattanooga forever yeah Yeah. i don't know if that's That's i don't know if that's a great value version of wakanda forever or what but (laughs) at least you'll have chattanooga
0: that's the dollar tree version of wakanda forever
1: (laughs) no hate on chattanooga best no i love chattanooga best local pizza scene in tennessee uh in my opinion so
0: dude i cannot wait to get home and, and get crust pizza
1: Indeed, my friend Says the guy going to Chicago here uh, At some point in the near future (laughs) Yeah, that's true too Uh, I am the hater who's going to hate about that
0: (laughs) It's right, man If I can time it to where I can go to to Chicago And then come to the outskirts of Sparta Or Cookville or Chattanooga I will bring you back a deep dish pizza from Chicago
1: Bless you, my friend Bless you, that would remove all the hate
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll see what I can do Oh. All right. Uh, going on to the next one. We've got Haunted. Uh, Netflix's Haunted gives a chilling glimpse into the first person accounts from people who have witnessed horrifying, peculiar, extraordinary supernatural events and other unexplained phenomena that continue to haunt them in the show streams beginning next Friday on October the 19th.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I appreciate you covering that one. I've thrown that on the list to see if you might want to, to cover it. Did you watch the trailer on this? Uh, yeah, I
0: did. I, I did.
1: Okay, so there, there was a television show that still runs in in um, syndication called A Haunting. Have you ever seen those? Um, I, I want to say that I've seen maybe one or two of them, but I can't off the
0: top of my head. I, I I'm not for sure.
1: It's a it's a pretty stock formula. So they have someone come in who says I was home alone one day and my baby started floating and I heard a mean voice and then they go through and do a cinematic recreation of it and it's um it's not particularly high quality but it also like if i'm just sitting around one evening wanting to kill some time if it's on i'll i'll let it play for a little while cuz it's not it's not terrible either so I, I heard or I saw something about this Netflix haunted series and I thought they've already done that. But because it's Netflix, I gave the, the trailer a watch and the trailer took me from not really interested to I'm probably going to be there opening night. Okay. Um, it, it, It's a slow starting trailer. I think the one I looked at is like two and a half minutes. So it's kind of long for a trailer. But by the time I got to the end of the trailer, there was some really kind of scary images on my screen. And so I don't know. As a guy who hates trailers, uh, I, I want to <laughs> highlight when a trailer does its job and takes me from not interested to interested. And I thought, I don't know, maybe some of our listeners would would be interested as well. Do you have any thoughts when you watch the trailer?
0: Um, I uh, honestly, I'll, I'll I'll be really honest with you. I watched the trailer um, while I've I've had just the busiest day today, and so I, I didn't really get a, a good glimpse of it. But I saw enough that I'm. I'm uh, intrigued by what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I probably need to go back and and rewatch it and and really get my focus and attention to it.
1: I think if you, if you get to like, I don't know if you sit down to do that, this is weird that we're talking about saving time on, on movie or show trailers, but probably I think the last 45 seconds of that thing is what I'm talking about. And it was enough to kind of set the hook. Um, So anyway, yeah, I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. Okay. Netflix is going hard on, on horror uh, series.
0: Yeah, man, they are. And, uh, you know, Hulu is too. Hulu is doing a Huluween this year. Hmm. And, uh, I, I know this is kind of a detour from Jeff H. Trailers, but I watched the first, um, the first episode of that, uh, episodic series that they've got going, that monthly series mm-hmm. that they they're doing into the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched the body, uh, actually I watched it on my birthday on Sunday and, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good.
1: Well, great. Great. Yeah. Uh, I, so I haven't made my way to that when I'm going to check it out. But yeah, that, that kind of lights my fire a little bit more. So,
0: yeah, I thought it was really well done. Um, And and it genuinely like there's genuine parts in it where I was like, oh, that's that's scarier than anything I saw in The Nun. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So kudos to Netflix and Hulu for going all in this year on, on Halloween stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure true so,
0: okay uh two more and then we'll turn it over to the horror reporter here's one that i found today uh then i saw the trailer for it it looks crazy i'm going to recommend that you watch this trailer okay there's going to be some stuff in it where you're going to be like i'm probably not going to watch that and i completely understand but i just want you to watch the trailer just to see what you think about it so here's the synopsis it's uh for a movie called look away a lonely 18 year old high schooler opens up to her reflection Because of the lack of support she has from her family and her peers, she switches places with her supportive but evil twin that she discovers in the mirror's reflection. But the newfound freedom unleashes suppressed feelings. Hmm. Uh, And it's kind of a a Carrie kind of – oh, man. What was that like Alicia Silverstone movie that came out in the early 90s where she was like a babysitter but she was evil? Is that ring a bell at all? it doesn't
1: but okay it probably you know it, it was a good attempt because you would think as a child of the 90s i would know everything alicia silverstone did i just right my old brain is forgetting it there is a there's a stephen king book isn't there that was made into a movie about a guy who like turns his darker mirror reflection loose and it i think so yeah i mean there's probably somebody screaming at their podcast app right now saying you dummy it's xyz but I, <laughs> yeah I can't remember what it was called. Dark Half, maybe? Dark Half? Uh, um Sounds sounds right. The Crush was the movie I was thinking of with Alicia Silverstone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just gonna say, like, all the way back to The Prince and the Pauper. Um you, you've just Dark these... Dark Half is
0: that Stephen King, by the way.
1: Okay, great, great. Yeah. That that's sort of a tried and true premise, right? There's a twin, mm-hmm. you swap places with them, shenanigans, hijinks or sinister stuff happens after. So I uh, that's enough. Yeah, it's enough for me to say. Sure, I'll check that out. Yeah, I mean, does it look like a CW? You know, as long as it's not cheese ball, uh, I'll check that out.
0: Um, I mean, there there is like a little. You can see that there's a little cheese ball to it, but I don't know, man. It, it sort of intrigued me, but I can kind of see where people would also be like, Nah, I'm good. So that's why I say that's why I say watch the trailer.
1: Yeah, I will. And I will say you this. Mean. I am. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I'm drowning in good content that I want to check out, and yeah. I'm kind of running out of time to to look at all of it. And so I guess it could get crowded out on that. But sure, I'll I'll I'll, I'll watch the Evil Twin story all over again. That I haven't you know yeah. exhausted all that that has to offer.
0: Yeah. So we got uh, we got Jason Isaacs in this movie and Mira Sorvino. Yeah,
1: that does nothing but enhance my desire to see it.
0: Yeah. When when was Mira Sor- Sorvino in something good?
1: Well, that's a good question, but in Mia's defense, when was the last time you saw her in something and thought, oh, she's terrible? Well, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, she hasn't I'm, – I'm, it seems to my mind like she hasn't worked a whole lot uh, in recent days.
0: Yeah, but you know I'm looking at her IMDb page, and she's got stuff all over the place, man. Really? It just hasn't yeah. hit our radar? Yeah, she uh, she did a couple modern family episodes. Um she did a show called Condor. She was in Spy Kids, the TV show. So, that looks like she's doing a lot of Yeah, it looks like she's doing a lot of TV stuff that I've never heard of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, more power to her. Like I said, I'm I'm usually not disappointed by her work. And so, yeah. It's cool by me.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, uh look away is supposedly coming out sometime,
1: but stayed on there. So just, uh,
0: again, once, once we find out more about it, we'll let you guys know.
1: Yeah. All right. Cool. Dude, you buried the lead on this one. We got to get to, we got to get to the money here.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's the reason why I saved it for last because, uh, also really good choice of words with buried the lead. I thought that was good. Finally, the last one—the last one we have for uh, this week—is Pet Cemetery. Uh, Lewis Creed, his wife Rachel, their two children, Gage and Ellie, move to a rural home where they are welcomed and enlightened about the eerie pet cemetery located near their home. After the tragedy of their cat being killed by a truck, Lewis resorts to burying it in the mysterious pet cemetery, which is definitely not as it seems. As it proves to the Creeds that sometimes dead is better.
1: Well, we've been kind of gushing over this in the We Saw Something Scary Facebook group, and it is super well-deserved. I didn't know if this movie really needed to be remade, and it's one of the ones where I thought, like, I know Stephen King has become a fresh whale, but this may have been, you know, this may have been the one they should have just left as is. But after having seen that trailer, I'm over the moon about it.
0: Yes, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I actually I agree with you on everything that you just said. I wasn't the biggest fan of of a remake on that, and then I watched the trailer today, and I said, oh, "Okay, we're good."
1: We should have known. I mean, like Lithgow alone kind of makes everything better, and I'm uh, I'm already dreading watching that kid toddle out towards the road. So uh, I I couldn't be much more excited.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too, man. I'm I'm pumped about it, and I just I hate that it's going to be a little bit of time before we get to watch it.
1: Yeah, me too. Let me ask you. I I threw this out in the uh, Facebook group, I think. But I'll I'll ask you: Do they try to redo the scene with Zelda? Oh man, I I, I, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, that's the you know that movie has some scary stuff in it, but clearly Zelda is the scariest version of all that. You know, right? Um, But I've got to assume with oh what is that guy's name he played mama in Musieta's mama um yeah let me see if i that can. guy i'm going to look him up something hey. french i'm going to google that something french mama yeah why can i not remember his name javier botet
0: there it is. Told you it was French.
1: Yeah. Harvey Javier Botet or the the woman who played Judith in Muschietti's It, one of those two people have the potential of doing doing Zelda in a way that, you know, lives up to the to the, the predecessor. And so I'm just gonna believe in faith that, that they're gonna do it, they're gonna get the right talent and like the whole thing, it's not gonna disappoint me that they tried to remake it, you know. Yeah. What is the release date on that? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, let
0: me look. The release date for the Pet Cemetery is April the 5th
1: of next year. Yeah, all right. That's not terribly long, but man, I wish it was sooner than the less.
0: Yeah, man, that's six months from now, which, I mean, will go by in a heartbeat. Like, you know, three weeks from now, we'll be like, hey, man, can you believe what happened in the new Avengers movie?
1: Like, that's how quick <laughs> it'll go. That's true. That's true. So come on, Pet Cemetery.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to that. You guys can go ahead and pencil in whatever, I guess, the week after, April the 5th, we'll be talking about that movie here on Saw Something Scary. For death. For death. All right. Ah, man, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Jeff H.
1: Trailers. All right. So we have decided uh, for this week's horror reporter that we would give that time to Castle Rock um, but there were a few things that popped up that I did want to hit really quickly before we did that. So, um, in in the spirit of talking about horror news...
2: This horror, horror.
1: Derek, I think you're the first person I noticed who who posted this news in my social media. But uh, Scott Wilson died. Herschel from The Walking yeah. Dead. Eugene from Behind the Mask. Yeah, man. I, I'm really... Heartbroken about that. He uh he had such a sad face. I know that's so weird to say, but like when you just saw him, you thought, Man, I'd like to I'm gonna hug that guy. You know, even when he smiled, it was like, Man, that guy's seen some stuff and he's he's carrying the weight of the world (laughs) on his shoulders. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I just googled him and was reading about his life. He uh he was from Atlanta, which I guess makes the connection to the setting of uh The Walking Dead even more poignant. Uh, he was going go to go to college as a architect to, to pursue architecture and play on a basketball scholarship, but decided to hitchhike to L.A. and sure. got his career started that way. I didn't know this. He made the cover of Time for uh, the role he played in the film adaptation of Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Huh. Yeah, he had, and he was in the 67 version of In the Heat of the Night or Mississippi Burning. I can't remember which one it was, but, you know, one of those, like, Jim Crow era race relationship movies. And apparently those two films really gave him a a major star turn that I had no, I didn't know anything about. I just knew him from The Walking Dead and Behind the Mask.
0: Okay, yeah I mean that was really the only two things I knew him about too that's
1: really that's really impressive man yeah well rest in peace, Scott Wilson we uh, we've enjoyed your work and appreciate the skill and time and effort you put into your craft
0: yeah man um you know I know that we reviewed behind the mask fairly early on in uh in our episodes which you can find that in the archives at Uh and Eugene is really an integral part of that movie he you know he doesn't show up a lot. In it but he's very integral you know he's he's, he's Leslie's mentor mm-hmm. and uh, father figure and I thought he just did just a great job with that and and even though he's not on screen much you can really tell that there's a there's a father-son relationship between the two of those guys and uh you know it, it did my heart good I when I was watching The Walking Dead of course that you know we've talked about it before that I checked out pretty much around the time that Scott Wilson got there um, with the farm but you know, it did my heart good to see him pop back up on there, and uh, apparently he's going to be in spoiler alert, I guess, but he's going to be in another episode of The Walking Dead as a, I guess, in a flashback or a mm. dream sequence or something. So, and you know, he reportedly has finished his filming on that too. So,
1: okay, he was just so dead gum charming. You know, you, you don't yeah. know these guys uh, through the lens, I guess, but he just seemed to radiate an authenticity and a, a, a down to earthness, and so. Again, never met the guy, but I'm going to mourn his passing nonetheless. Yep. On a on a brighter note, just to quickly combine some of our loves, maybe this is what I'll send you as a belated birthday present. Um, so DC's doing a uh, a cursed comics cavalcade. Uh it's a it's a horror anthology comic that tells ten scary stories about heroes running up against horror. Oh, okay. And the screenwriter from Mushy 80's It, Gary Doberman, wrote the Batman horror story for it. Oh, okay. And it, it went on the shelves the day we're recording this podcast. So, 10, 10, 18. Um, i meant to go by my local comic book shop and pick up a copy. I'll uh, I have to do that soon. And uh, anyway, it, there was a preview on BloodyDisgusting.com if anybody wants to go look at a couple panels. And it looks like it's going to be well worth the cost of the cover price. Um, does Batman's Dark Knight make an appearance? I hope not. uh, You've raised, you know, when they give Batman to the wrong creators, you just get the dumbest stuff in the world. I have no confidence in DC editorial. That was particularly true when Jeff Johns was kind of captaining the ship. And I use that in the loosest possible sense. Uh, But man, they just do dumb stuff with some of the best characters in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they they do. Um, I mean, that's evidenced by their their film department right now. So
1: yeah, the, the thing I saw on this comic, it was, um, sort of a Neil Adams looking Batman, which I love. That's nostalgia for me being pulled into the, into the, the grave by a corpse. And I signed me up, man. So,
0: okay. Yeah. Take my money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, cool. comic book fans out there, Batman fans were comic Batman fans out there. You'll want to get a copy of this.
0: Yeah. And if you're uh and if you're a lady and you're all three, uh, slide in my DMs.
1: <laughs> you need to do that right now. Uh yeah. if you're even if you're not interested in those things, you should fake it in order to uh to get Derek's attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm going places. You should you should be wrong for the ride. So that will wrap up this little brief segment of Uh, Do we need to do we need to call uh, Marky Mark in twice for this episode? Can can our contract with him afford that?
0: I don't think so. Um, I think we just I mean, I think we do the review of Castle Rock and we'll just we'll just I, I tell you what, we'll bring Wahlberg in on this. And we'll just say that this is now spoiler territory through the rest of the
1: episode. Okay. That's a good idea. I'll go ahead and text his agent and let him know that that's how we're going to use it. And it's not going to affect our episode rate.
0: Yeah. And if it, and if he asks for more money, tell him that we have John Cena on retainer and we can use John Cena for half
1: his feet. He looks just like
0: Wahlberg. So it's not a big deal.
1: Duly noted. Okay. So Wahlberg. What? No. Spoiler alert. All right, Derek, you ready to talk about Castle Rock? You
0: know, dude, I was ready to talk about Castle Rock six weeks ago. Yeah. And when when you said, uh, and, and that's no fault on yours um, or, or anybody else's, and <laughs> I didn't, sorry, I feel like I, that was an attack. I, I didn't mean it that way.
1: Um, it's okay, Derek. You just say whatever you want to, man. Just not like there's a bunch of people listening or anything. <laughs> yeah. You're such a jerk. Um
0: but, you know, seriously, I was ready to review this like six weeks ago, and when I saw it on the – when we started talking about it last week and then I saw it on the call sheet, like I've literally today been scrolling back through articles and stuff on Castle Rock because I was like, oh, what? I mean, there's only one episode of this whole thing that sticks out in my head, um, and that's that's episode seven that's just unbelievable. I mean, just the sissy space acting hour. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, man, let's, let's, I mean, as, as much as I can, let's dive in. You, I mean, I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this and I'll just kind of pepper in when I can. Cause I literally, I, I really did not enjoy this that much.
1: Okay. Well, that that's actually where I wanted to start. And I, um, I want to start with talking about story and pacing Because I think that kind of defines your experience with Castle Rock um, Friend of the podcast, long-time listener Once upon a time, uh, you know, fill-in co-host Jared Moore Said that that Castle Rock struck him as uh, Stephen King and Lost had a baby mm-hmm. And that rings true with me And y- y'all know me, part of that equation I'm very happy about Part of that equation I loathe
0: Yeah. Which is really that you loathe Stephen King so
1: much. (laughs) Yes. Stephen King's the problem. Yes, of (laughs) course. Um, So I I guess at the end of the day, I don't regret having watched Castle Rock, Mm -hmm. but the pacing and how, how everywhere the story was, you know, how they, they, they did the thing lost did, where they just try to cram so much stuff in where you're left going, how can this be reconciled now? In fairness, they did a better job of tying up the narrative threads than the people of Lost did. But that's like saying, you know, the Hindenburg flying for a few minutes was better than, you know, uh, the first time that manned air flight was attempted and there was a spectacular crash. Um <laughs>
0: Your, your your hatred for loss knows no bounds. It just makes me laugh.
1: It doesn't. It's a raging inferno with the, the strength of a thousand <laughs> volcanoes. I'm still salty about wasting my time on the show. Um, but man, you know, Castle Rock was hard to get through. Did you, did you feel that yeah.
0: way? Dude, it, it, it was a slog. Like, the, I don't know if you and I have talked about this. I, I've, I've spoken with several of the members of the Facebook group that we saw something scary Facebook group about this. I don't know if you and I talked about it or if I talked to them about it or even if I just talked to myself, because at some points during watching these, I just started talking to myself because it was more entertaining. Um, but I feel like that the only negative part of the great horror content that we're getting right now is that occasionally some people want to drag out the story like the mist when spike did that mini series or did that series on the mist. And then those 10 episodes, there's no reason to have 10 episodes at an hour or 45 minutes or however long with commercials about that story. That's just way too long. I mean, the the movie that we saw with Tom Jane that came out, what 10, 11 years ago that was perfect and it was condensed and it was the right amount of stuff trying to stretch it out and doing different like storylines and, and, and B plots and things like that is, is stupid. And so I feel the same way about this. If you would have given it like six episodes as a mini series, I think it could have been okay. But trying to stretch it out into 10 and then leaving it open ended the way that you did. And even now I'm hearing that it's going to be like an anthology series. So, most, most likely none of these actors are going to come back. And if some of them do, it won't be as the same characters that we've gotten to know um, boringly over the last you know 10 hours. So uh, I, I say all that to say this. Outside of episode seven, man, it really was difficult to watch the whole way through.
1: Yeah, I, I think everything you said there is really accurate. The premise was just stretched too thin. And mm-hmm. to their credit... About the time I thought, like, do I want to finish this? They would do something that made me more interested. So they dropped uh, Chosen in or, y- you know, you highlighted that they do a Sissy Spacex centric episode. Um I, I found myself really enjoying Scott Glenn's character. And so uh, that was that was good stuff. Um, the the Jane Levy character, Jackie Torrance, that was enough to kind of, hey, what are they going to do with her? So they did yeah. string me along kind of effectively. But I don't know by the end of it, if I kind of think the whole, uh, you know, viewed as a whole, that it was worth the trip. <laughs> Right. Um now in I think there's a lot to praise in terms of the acting in this. Andre Holland, Melanie Linsky, the people we've already mentioned. I thought they acted their pants off. I enjoyed mm-hmm. every, you know, every performance I saw there. I just felt like we spent a lot of time standing around looking pensive when we could have just been moving the plot forward. Mhm. Um so I guess it's a mixed bag in that way. Um, this is spoiler territory, so I guess the last thing I kind of want to highlight are our theories. Tell me what I think. I've, tell me what I've gotten wrong from what I think is right. The noise that uh, preacher dad, the the people out in the woods in the RV, and Henry Deaver could hear was a sort of cosmic <laughs> overlap between multiple parallel worlds that they could sense. Right. Right. Okay. And the the Up in the air dilemma of this show is that Bill Skarsgård's character, who I guess is going, you know, we refer to him as the kid. Mm -hmm. He is either by his own account, the Henry Deaver of another world who has come over to our world in just the same way that the Henry Deaver of what we assume is our world went over to his for a time. And like, because they weren't where they were supposed to be, tragedy followed them as the cosmos tried to like align to this foreign invader. Am I right yeah. on that? I I believe that you are. Okay. So by the end of the movie, Henry Deaver has decided that the kid is not what he claims to be. Um, and and so that leaves me, I think, with this dilemma that I, th- that I think the writers wanted to leave us it with. Either the kid really is Henry Deaver of another universe, and this is an epic tragedy, or they, they mention this several times in the movie, he is the devil. Right. And he's lying about his identity and he's in this world, uh, you know, to cause havoc. And it's a good thing that he's imprisoned. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what do you think?
0: I have no idea. Yeah. Um. I'll, I'll be real honest with you. You just going back through that made me bored. <laughs> like, and, and and again, that's no knock on you. It's just, I mean, literally like you kept... The more you talked, the more it reminded me of that uh, scene in Austin Powers where he's trying to go back through and and talk about the different timelines. And he goes, oh, no, I've gone cruel side. Like, that's how I feel.
1: That That's not um, an inaccurate comparison here. Uh, just because we've decided to talk about this series and there are other people who may be interested. Uh, I was hashing this out with my wife. We went on a road trip recently and we were kind of talking through this. Um, theory A for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the alternative timeline that the kid says he came from, where he was Henry Deaver, the story is that uh, the kid's grandmother attempted to kill the baby who grew up to be the preacher. Right. But after she killed it, it came back to life and so on and so forth. We've reviewed or did we review the hallow on this podcast? I know we've talked about it. I I don't think that we have, actually. Okay. Well, for those of you who've seen The Hallow, it makes use of these uh, North European legends about baby snatchers who substitute a baby for, uh, or excuse me, substitute some kind of impish creature for a baby, and you don't really find that out till the till the thing you thought was a child grows up a little bit and it turns out to be this mischievous or evil mystical creature. So, theory A for me is. Uh Scar'sguard's character is the is the product of a line that started when a baby was swapped out by some kind of devious supernatural creature. Okay. Theory B is that he's just the devil and <laughs> Andre Holland's character figured it out.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> <laughs> I get it It's either, it's either a complicated uh, series of events That leads to his arrival in an alternate universe Or he's the devil, Bobby
1: <laughs> And he's in a cage That's where he needs and to be he, He's in a cage where he belongs Like football and school And the only reason I propose the first one Is because this series seems to like convoluted mm-hmm. And seem to make a point out of the baby being killed And then starting to cry again uh, when when they're both put in jail, the kid and Henry Deaver mm-hmm. and uh, Henry Deaver pulls out the soap figure that
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the the new prison warden handed over to Molly Strand right before she got ran over by a prison bus, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a thing that happened.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I think what he's telling him is you have enjoyed taunting your victims too much for me to believe that you're an innocent victim of some kind of space time continuity paradox. Yeah. And I'm going to go with that theory because of that smirk we get from Skarsgård's character at the very end of the show. Sure. Uh, do you care enough to poke holes or propose an alternative theory or anything like that? No. Uh, this may be the most surprising thing I'll say in this review. If they take Jane Levy's character out to the Overlook Hotel and have her do something, uh, you know, in reference to The Shining, I'm going to watch that season. And I would, too. In fact, the smirk was pretty attention-grabbing, you know, at the end of the series. But that little mid credit scene with her where she talks about going out to Colorado is maybe the thing that I found most interesting in this movie. Uh, excuse yeah. me, this series, I should say.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I think you're right on that. It, to me, they just, I, I don't know. It, it seemed like that they wanted to do a lot of ambiguity and a lot of confusion, and they felt clever by leaving things in a state of ambiguity and confusion a lot of the time. Uh, the alternate timeline really. Uh, honestly, just frustrated me because I've never been a fan of alternate timelines, and never been a fan of alternate realities. Um, and it just, to me, it just seemed really lazy. And they, they had me, they had me at episode seven with Sissy Spacek, and you know, of course, she's she's kind of the Desmond Hume in this, right? Mm, yeah. And uh, you know, they're they're saying that she has Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever the terminology is, but obviously. You know, it also seems like she's going back and forth through timelines, and, and I was cool with that. And then they had me at, um, they had me intrigued when the kid tells, what's her name? That's where I saw you die,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, you know, and that that's the end of episode eight going into episode nine. And so I'm like, okay, finally, after freaking eight hours of this show, we're finally getting to it. And then episode nine came on, and it was just the fart noise. <laughs> And again, they they end the whole thing with ambiguity and confusion. And yeah, I think I think the kids the devil. Okay. I think the kids. I think the kids the devil. Um, I'm almost. I'm almost um, want to put the theory out that this that this is actually uh, Pennywise. Oh. And, Hmm. That he that you know he is you know because it's always talked about like he comes in different forms of chaos and terror like it's not always the clown it's whatever you fear the most and there's a lot of there's a lot of things in my opinion that make it seem like maybe you know this is instead of being the devil this is just Pennywise torturing people
1: yeah and so he's sort of feeding on the psychic misery yeah of uh of all the people he's hurting yeah I, I guess that that could happen.
0: But uh, yeah, I I just I don't know, man, if if they are going to do an anthology series like American Horror Story, then they should have wrapped this one up a lot better because I'll give credit to American Horror Story. I I only watched the first season of that show, but I felt like that the way that they ended that first season really wrapped things up really well to where when it went to something else on the second season, I was like, oh okay, yeah, that makes sense. They told the story. It's over with.
1: Yeah. That, I think actually that series is still living on the steam of that first season. You know, everybody's kind of hoping it yeah. gets back to it other than the, the gimp suits. That first season was really compelling.
0: Yeah. 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 The gimp suit almost killed it, but the first season was, was very compelling. And the only thing that it missed was Sarah Paulson. Cause I know Sarah Paulson has been the thing that's really kept that thing going for the last, you know, however mm-hmm. many seasons it's been on,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but yeah, you know, it tied it tied everything up at the end of that season, and you you know you really didn't need or you really didn't have another reason to revisit those characters again. Uh, I think that they're doing that now or in the next season they're bringing those characters back. But you know, whatever. I mean, we're not talking about American Horror Story. It just I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't give me a reason outside of doing something with The Shining. To make me want to come back to the series.
1: Yeah, Well said. So if I come back to it. It's because I was interested. uh, It's okay. In the shining. Not because I was interested in Castle Rock. Which doesn't seem like a good thing for Castle Rock.
0: Also you're going to lose me every time. When you kill Terry O'Quinn. In the first 15 minutes of the show.
1: (laughs) Fair point. I should have known you'd take that hard. Yeah. When you kill my John Locke. you, You kill me. Um, can I ask you this, and maybe this can be our last point on this uh, mini review? We've obviously called and and helped create the the Stephen King revival that we're living in. Yes, you're welcome. Is this the first miss, or or at least not complete win? You know, yeah. I think it depends on how you feel about that Thomas Jane movie. Was that um, 1922?
0: I believe that's that was the, Net- the name of it. I the, know it was a the Netflix one.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm going to see your 1922, which, by the way, I really enjoyed that movie. I have the same thought, only it's about the Dark Tower. Ooh, okay. That's a good call. So if you like the Dark Tower, I think this is the first one where you go, maybe this was a miss. But if you didn't like the Dark Tower, you've probably got two two franchises to stick in the category of you know good effort, but didn't land, right?
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, and I, I mean, I haven't seen Dark Tower, so I don't know.
1: Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm, no, it, it reviewed oh, okay. so poorly. I just the source material is not super compelling to me anyway. I've read some of the Dark mm-hmm. Tower comic books. Never tried the books themselves. Yeah, and, and it just wasn't great. And so after it reviewed poorly, I was like, cool. I'm as much as I like Idris Elba, uh, it's just not worth it.
0: Yeah, I read the first book in that series and enjoyed it. Um, but never went back to it. And I never watched the movie, although I'm a huge McConaughey fan. And uh, I I agree with you. I'm a big Idris Elba fan as well. I just never, it never got on my radar enough for me to be like, yeah, I'll go watch that. Or yeah, I'll pick it up at Redbox or yeah, I'll watch it on, you know, whatever streaming platform that it is. Um, So I I can't really tell if it's, you know, if this is a bigger miss than that one is, but, but yeah, I think you're right. I think those are around the same two lines. I am going to say, I mean, I enjoyed 1922 as well. I wouldn't put it on the same platform as a Gerald's game or an it or whatever else that we've talked about lately that has, you know, really, you know, really given Stephen King his renaissance.
1: Yeah, so the the ones you just referenced, like it Joe's game, those are home runs, right? Yeah, I think, I think nineteen twenty two second tier. Yes, I was going to say it's a double. Like you come away yeah. going like, yeah, good call. that was worth it. You know, yeah, uh, positive things happened here. So I'm I'm with you entirely. You know, not everything can be it, but uh, you know, most of it's been good. And I mean, really, for me, feeling like I wasted some time with Castle Rock ultimately thinking about what Stephen King has had come rolling down the pike in just the last couple of years. The batting average, if I can keep using the baseball metaphor, it's still like 700 or 800 percent. You know what I mean? Like it's sure it's yeah. been a pretty great ride. So I, I don't need to complain too much.
0: Right. Yeah. It's yeah, It's it's been a lot better than what, like the mid 90s, the early 2000s Stephen King was. Sure. Sure. So,
1: you know. Yeah. Well, all right. You, anything else to add to this? We want to put a bow on Castle Rock.
0: I just want to say that the queen that I, I, I keep going back to it, but that, that episode seven of the series is probably one of the best acted hours of television I've ever seen. And it boggles my mind that this episode is in this series and the rest of it is just really slow plotting garbage.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've got a treasure in Sissy Spacek. I, I'm one of the last few people on Earth who subscribe to magazines, um, but the I, I subscribe to Entertainment Weekly, and the mm-hmm. the issue they did uh, I think two issues back, Jamie Lee Curtis was on the front, and it was all about horror movies. Mm-hmm. They do a little blurb where they're talking to Sissy Spacek, and she just says like I'm I'm going to keep acting till I just die doing it, and that's morbid and that's sad that you know we're we're at a time in her personal lifespan where that's not a, that might happen, I guess is what I'm trying it's to say. It's
0: realistic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But man, talk about somebody coming back and being like, don't act like y'all forgot about Dre. I mean, to to borrow an old uh, reference, <laughs> uh, to be her age and to have done all she has done. Mm-hmm. She's, she's incredible, man. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad we still get to see her do stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she is the emotional anchor for like the first two and a half seasons of Bloodline. Mm. Uh, Bloodline really kind of went off the rails towards the end of the series. But man, she's she's so good. And it's one of those things where when you're watching that show, you, you know, I mean, she's in the first episode, but you just you're watching her and you're like, man. Sissy Spacek, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and and there were there were di- different times watching this where I was you know saying the same thing. I was like, man, Sissy Spacek, and even there was a couple times in this where I was like, man, they're kind of wasting Sissy Spacek. Like she should be more prominent in this thing. For crying out loud, she was carried right,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then and then that episode seven hits, and I go, yep, there it is. That's masterful. Uh, as a, a matter of fact, I I watched that episode and then automatically rewound it and watched it again.
1: I don't want to say that she carried Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård is a remarkable actor, particularly considering his age.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the knowing how good he is, the the sequence when he shows back up at her house. And he's he's playing the role of her dead husband. And she is trying to get her grandson out of the house and manipulate the monster who she knows is going to hurt her um, and, and just try to defend herself as a as a aged woman against this young man who's, again, clearly a threat. It is a master class in building tension and drama and f- dread. I mean, and again, Skarsgard, it's not, like he's the weak link. He's not dragging her down, but even as a good actor, she's so far above him that the scene really just rides on her shoulders. And mm-hmm. it, it, it is the kind of thing that I can see how somebody like yourself, who's in the profession would go, yeah, I just want to enjoy that one more time immediately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scarsgard is a, is a fantastic actor, but when you are in the same, Breathing space as somebody like Sissy Spacek, you're going to be elevated, regardless of if you're a, a great actor like Skarsgård or if you're a mediocre actor like, you know, insert whoever you want to in that position. Uh, she she is amazing, and she makes everything that she's in better. And so I I love the fact that she's had somewhat of a renaissance here over the last five years, and I hope that as morbid as, you know, her proclamation was, I hope that we continue to see her until, you know, until she feels like either she's ready to ride off into the sunset and enjoy, you know, the, the back nine or, you know, the the back two at this point, I don't know, or, you know, if, you know, she just, she goes while she's performing, so.
1: Yeah, I specifically want to praise her, uh, and not to spend all night on this or all episode on this, but I have been privileged to have uh have been profited by a number of remarkably strong women, you know, in my life. And in the providence uh of the Lord's kindness, I have seen these remarkably strong women age into frailty basically. Their their bodies betray them. Their their spirit, their mind still strong, but their bodies betray them. And I
0: thought maybe you were talking about the Bill Paxton movie.
1: Not quite. No. Okay, fair enough. Um but I know what it's like to be in the presence of a of a woman who is full of dignity and who who knows that she has grown frail with age, but is still the strongest person in the room. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like I was back in the presence of my my grandmother. You know, other women who fit that mold that I've been privileged to know. When I was watching that scene in the in the living room with Skarsgård, and uh, yeah, that's just that's a gift she's got and a gift she gives to people watching her. So. All, all, uh, all due praise to Sissy Spacek. Yeah, for
0: sure. She, uh, you know, she hit a home run in that, and she's definitely the MVP of this series. And if, um, if this, I know that it's been picked up for season two. If it comes back and and it's a different. Uh, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. I hope that Sissy Spacek is kind of like the Jessica Lang of uh, Castle Rock and we get to see her, you know, in something else, just acting the crap out of something else.
1: Great comparison. Couldn't agree more. Well done. That's a that's a fitting way to end this mini review of Castle Rock yeah.
0: So there you go, guys. What did you think of Castle Rock? Do you have differing opinions uh, from Jeff and myself? Do you, did you enjoy the the story? Did you enjoy the pacing? Do you have different theories, anything like that? Hit us up at the Facebook group. We saw something scary. Would love to hear your uh, thoughts and, and ideals and, and feelings on this on this uh, series. And and, you know, maybe you enjoyed it more than Jeff and I did. Again, I'd love to know your reasoning behind that, not in an attacking way, but just in a, you know, change my mind.
1: Sure. We we love to hear from from listeners and we particularly value the opinions of those that we've gotten to know through that Facebook group. So get at us. You you would profit us that way. Absolutely. All right, Derek. So with that part of the episode in the can, are you ready to pull the curtain on Tom Hardy's Venom? Yeah, man. Let's pull the string on this bad boy. All right. Um critics hated this movie. Yeah, stupid. I think critics are stupid. So we're with we're we're in lockstep on that one uh, just to get it all in the same in the same place. I know we've talked about some of this as we've been looking forward to this movie. Fan of the comic book character, Derek? Read that
2: in your past?
0: Yeah, man. Um, Venom is probably my second favorite comic book character of all time.
1: Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. OK. I think I've mentioned before, I'm a sucker for palette swaps. Um, You know, when I'm playing Street Fighter, I want Ken instead of Ryu. Mm -hmm. And the black-suited Spider-Man is just, I just found it at that perfect time in my adolescence where it was the coolest thing ever. And that, you know, it went on to become this other character that I really enjoy. So I I wouldn't go so far as to say he's my second favorite, but he's probably top five, definitely top ten. And I own a bunch of the early McFarlane comics. (laughs) Okay. Did you? How did Venom come on your radar? Venom came on my radar uh, again through the black-suited Spider-Man. So uh, I don't think he listens to our podcast, but mutual friend Terry Felton and I were were looking through comics. We used to go to these used bookstores with our parents, and we'd buy comic books and stuff. And we got the Secret War issue uh, where he gets the the black suit. You know, it's not like a pristine copy. We we read that thing over and over and over. Then we picked up some of the like the the Spider Man line where he's fighting Puma but he's wearing the black costume and you're starting to realize, oh, the black costume has a mind. From the Lion King? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Uh he fought Puma, and then he fought the three jackals, and he conquered the uh, the land where the sun doesn't touch, and and then he ate Timon <laughs> it, Like it, it has a certain appeal.
0: <laughs> he said, Matata and then ate him.
1: So then you see, you know, Todd McFarlane comes along, and as much as Todd McFarlane is ridiculed now, he was a thing in the nineties.
0: Oh yeah, dude, he was big. time.
1: And there is an iconic image, I think, that he drew of Spider-Man for a uh, a series called Web. Where Mm -hmm. it's Spider-Man kind of hunched down hanging from just a million spider web or spider web strands. And then I'm pretty sure the first time I saw like big, huge, muscular mouthful of teeth venom, it was a a McFarlane kind of riff on the Spider-Man webs image where venom was hanging around in much the same. And then uh, anyway, eventually there's this fight where uh, it, it wasn't their first confrontation. But where um, Peter Parker and Venom go off to an island and they fight, and I'm realizing like, oh, he doesn't, Venom doesn't trigger Spider-Man's spider sense, and you know Spidey has to figure out a way to beat this guy that's unconventional. And uh, I, I still have that comic somewhere in my stacks, and I'm I'm pretty sure the cover came off of it because I just read it so much. It was such a perfect antithesis and so that's a really long story but that's kind of how i got to meet venom and he's always been an interesting character from then on so when you know when it's not eddie brock i'm less interested but the agent venom stuff was really interesting anti-venom was interesting i think Mm -hmm. i have the comic book for lady venom um yeah, he's just a guy you always kind of keep your eyes on. There, there's something inherently compelling about him. Yeah. So I'll stop talking now. You t- you talk about Venom, but that's that's oh, my no, super long answer.
0: Yeah. Uh, Venom came on my radar uh, in the mid-90s, probably 95, with uh, the Spider-Man versus Venom, or Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage mm-hmm. Super Nintendo game.
1: Yeah, great game, man. Great game. Yeah.
0: And uh, me and a buddy of mine would play it and he was just he constantly was like, I gotta be Spider-Man. I gotta be Spider-Man. So I was like, okay, well, I'll take this other dude that I have no idea about. And through playing that video game with my buddy, I was like, oh, my gosh, this Venom guy is amazing. And... So then I went back and, and, you know, with my allowance money and stuff like that, bought back issues of the Venom comic and, you know, learned learned about and learned who Eddie Brock was and and the whole, you know, the whole uh, history behind it. And so, yeah, you know, it became uh, when I say second favorite comic book character, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, Of course, I mean, Iron Man's up there. Um, Gambit has always been one oh, of my yeah, favorites. Really? Okay. Um, but uh, Venom, I, you know, since you said top five, I would agree with that probably as well. Top five, uh, as far as like an anti-hero or, you know, quote unquote villain, he's probably my favorite. Um, outside of the oh, the Joker's my favorite villain, but Venom's you know antihero. I'll I'll say that for the anti-hero, Venom is my favorite. Um, I hated what they did with him in Spider-Man Three with Topher Grace. Uh, that was just uh, an abomination, in my opinion. And so when I find out that one of my favorite actors is playing one of my favorite comic book characters, I'm over the moon. And I yeah, you know you you said it earlier, man. The the critics said that this movie was terrible. I. I think that the critics are smoking something because I really enjoyed this movie. I walked in expecting everything that I got and a little bit more and I loved it.
1: Well, that brings us to, you know, my, my kind of summary of the movie in terms of, will you like it or will you not? I put this on my letterboxd review. So some people may have already seen it, but if you like the comic book character, I don't know how you don't like this movie. You know, everything that you, Everything you want from the comic book character shows up in this in this movie, except for the white spider symbol on his chest, which I am I get right. it like that needs to be there. But if you if you could mentally paint the spider symbol on his chest, this reads like a really good standalone venom issue, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, I mean, obviously I'm going to say that you're going to say no on this, but do you feel like that it was hindered by not having Spider-Man at all in the, uh, you know, in this, in this version of the movie?
1: Yes, but it's because I'm coming at this from a comic book background. Yeah. You you know, so again, if somebody could go in and digitally paint this, the white spider symbol on Venom's chest, and I can just mentally say, oh, this is a standalone, um, story maybe it's a, it's a what if, right? You know, mm-hmm. what if Venom had met Eddie Brock before he met Spider-Man? Um, this movie is perfectly satisfying. And I I mean, I think it even gets the characterization really well Um, in that like Venom, you know, Venom can, he's kind of like the Joker in this way. You can play him as just a straight psychopath who's sadistic. And, and there's not a lot of personality there other than just rage and hunger. Mm-hmm. But when he is sort of fleshed out a little bit, He has a quirky sense of humor, like you see in this movie. Right. And, uh, yeah, so we're in full-blown spoiler territory. Here's what I'm hoping happens, Derek. Okay. Okay. Spider-Man right now, uh, and, you know, we're in spoiler territory, so if you don't know what happened in Infinity War, I'm sorry. Uh, You just need to pause the episode right now. Spider-Man does not exist right now, but he will be back, right? We already know that the next Spider-Man standalone is going to be called Far From Home, right? Right. So Spider-Man is out in space. Can we not have him encounter the symbiote and even wear the black costume for a little while in in, in that uh, Far From Home movie? Mm-hmm. The symbiote eventually goes on whatever exploratory mission that, that asteroid was to you know, whatever's implied in this movie, in the Venom movie. Mm -hmm. And so when Venom, you know, attaches himself to Eddie Brock, it's he doesn't know that he'll ever see Peter Parker again. But whenever they end up in the same universe together, all of a sudden there's this conflict where Venom is like, oh, that was my first, you know, dancing partner.
0: My first love.
1: Yeah. And eventually he ends up with Brock, but now as sort of a, like, stick it to your ex boyfriend or ex girlfriend. He he wears his symbol on his chest. Mm-hmm. It won't be a perfect solution to the problem. But like the raw elements of Spider Man being in space, um, and this movie taking place at a you know, kind of like Ant Man did in relationship to Infinity War. Sure. It can be done and I will be delighted if they if they do it. Yeah. So there we go. There, there, there it is. Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've just given you how to how to get Venom correct by the next time he shows up in a in a movie.
0: Right is spelled W R I G H T. So just you know, send that check on as soon as you can, Kevin Feige. Yeah,
1: yeah. So do you want to go through some more specifics? Uh, I thought you, you had highlighted what the Ringer uh, asked of its staff is their exit survey. Um, I'd love to walk through that with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's let's go ahead. There's uh, ten questions that the ringer asked its staff as an exit survey on the movie, and uh, we'll just go through them right now. What is your tweet? Link, excuse me. What is your tweet length review of Venom?
1: Okay, um, I'm gonna go with this. Down on his luck, Crusader Eddie Brock meets a shape shifting space alien. Okay. Who gives Brock incredible powers with which the two fight evil and okay. re- and rebuild their lives on Earth? I don't know if that's okay. 140 characters or not, but that's me trying to condense it down. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you get like 280 now, don't you? On yeah, Twitter.
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, mine would be Tom Hardy trying his Tom Hardiest to play a comic book character that is ridiculous yet a lot of fun
1: more you know you've got the ethos of the film for sure right there yeah so all right best moment of the film best moment of the film for me was when venom goes full venom in the um <laughs> Uh, motorcycle chase that ultimately culminates in him fighting the, you know, the hit squad or whatever that was sent there. So like Mm -hmm. Eddie has a motorcycle wreck. You think he's doomed. He's done for. Venom fixes everything, squares everything up, fights everybody and safely escapes. That was where I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. So thus far we had seen, you know, tendrils and heard the Venom voice, but that's when you're like, oh, okay, this is exactly what it would look like if Venom showed up in the real world. Yeah. What about for you? Uh,
0: so many best moments, so little time. <laughs>
1: uh, good Venom voice. Yeah, thanks. You've got a thing uh, with Tom Hardy and doing his superhero character voices.
0: Yeah, I do a pretty good
1: Bane. Yeah, you do. I do a pretty good Bane. I have to, I have to break that out
0: sometime. Um, man, I think, I think really the the definition of this movie. To anyone who hasn't seen it or anyone who has seen it probably would be when the symbiote gets into Eddie Brock's body and he goes into that restaurant with Michelle Williams and uh, Reed Scott, who plays Dan from Veep, who also plays Dan in this movie, and he is – sweating from head to toe he's ripping into steaks and yelling this is dead and then eventually settling into that lobster tank and just making a faces making that face that we've all made when we have to find a bathroom and we make it just in the <laughs> nick of time
2: yeah that's pretty
0: good I, I feel like that for me that whole thing is just unbelievably bad good <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know?
1: yeah yeah, you're right that they play this movie as a as a B movie. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean not everything is going to be Infinity War. I very much enjoyed being in the smaller world of Ant-Man and the Wasp. And this definitely fits that.
0: Yeah. So uh, not not to get off track, but that, that brings up a really good point. You watched this movie before I did. And you, you said, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on it. And I went and watched it late Friday night in IMAX, by the way, Mm -hmm. which I got a really cool poster out of. But um, so Saturday morning I text you and I said, I said, I don't understand why critics are bad this, um, it's not The Dark Knight, it's not Infinity Wars, and it never claimed to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good second-tier superhero movie or comic book movie in the vein of an X2. Spot on, man. Just spot on. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I said something to the effect of, I don't understand why or how we became comic book snobs or like how the critics became comic book movie snobs when when you really look back at Comic book movies through the the eighties and the nineties and even to the early two thousands, they were nothing but dreck. I mean, you think about Dolph Lundgren in, in The Punisher, or the I don't know, you know, the Toxic Avenger comes to mind. Or, any of the um, Fantastic
1: Four movies?
0: Any of the Fantastic Four movies? Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, you know, some of the reviews were saying that this is Catwoman bad, and and I just want to I just want to sit down with that person and watch this movie with them and say, point to me where this gets. To the level of Catwoman, bad it just doesn't. It's a it's a great it's a really fun movie, and and not every superhero movie has to be Spider Man Homecoming. Not sure. every superhero movie has to be Winter Soldier, right? Like there's no reason for it. And you've got you've got a an actor, you've got a lead actor who obviously is game for anything because he does amazing. I mean, just incredibly. Ridiculous stuff in this movie. Uh, You have uh, a comic book character who I believe is on most people's radars as being one of their favorites. And you're creating a world that you can hopefully integrate Spider-Man into down the road. I just don't see, I don't understand all the hate for it. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Me either. And it is so gratifying to watch audiences just blow the critics evaluation out with their pocketbooks. You know, this thing is, is an $80 million movie in its opening weekend. And that just shatters all kinds of records. And, You know, the critics poo-pooed this thing and and belly ached about it. And people just said, you know what? I think this movie looks good and I'm going to go watch it. I'm going to tell my friends and I may go watch it again. And just every now and then the world works out the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll tell you this. I I don't want to like harp on this. My thinking isn't completely defined on this. But I think part of the problem is there's a group of fans out there who need an R rating to feel like the movie is... Worth their interest, or or appropriately courting their interest. Okay, and that was been part of the conversation around this movie the whole time. Um, I, I get Deadpool made a lot of money with a hard R. I know Logan did, but I just don't understand the arbitrary need for an R rating. If that's factoring in to how people are evaluating this movie, and they're not, you know, you're not saying, well, the plot could have done X, Y, Z, or I mean, do you really need to see more gory stuff to enjoy the movie? I I I guess I came away from this going, there's nothing an R rating could have offered me to make this movie better. Um, Okay, Would I enjoy watching an an unedited director's cut? Sure. Mm -hmm. But I would enjoy it just as much as if there wasn't another drop of blood. You know, if we got more scenes of Venom cleaning out a room like he did with those uh, police officers when when uh, when Brock breaks into the the lab again, sure. But I don't need to see the viscera of his attack and and body parts thrown around to say that I would enjoy a longer cut. And so I don't know. You can tell me what you would do differently, but I don't understand this arbitrary. I've got to have an R rating to to enjoy this movie, and I think that's part of what's going on.
2: Sure. Um.
0: I mean, honestly, man, after watching it, I, I was in that camp before I watched it. I was like, I can't believe they went PG 13 with this. They should have went R. It's, you know, it, it's gonna, it's not gonna be as good. But I thought it was really fun. And so I, I don't agree with needing the R rating. Um, I will say this though, this was the bone I had to pick with you on your pop culture quorum deo podcast. As you uh and I, I mostly agree with you on this, but I just wanted to throw this caveat in to see what you think about it. Um, you talked about how comic book movies are mostly designated or designed for, for kids, right? Comic mm. books are mostly designed for kids. And if you grew up with this character like you and I both did in our early years, and now you're seeing it you know, 25 years later, um, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't want to have it appeal to you but to a, a broader audience. And, and I, I, I know that's not exactly what you said, but that's the general generalization of it. Am I right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I don't take any exception to that summary.
0: Yeah. And um, you said something to the effect of, again, that comic books are, are for kids. Here's the one th- thing that I wanted to ask you about. Where does Spawn fit in
1: on that for you? I think it it is a very, uh, that's a great comparison. I think it tracks pretty close to Venom uh, in terms of, uh, the, what you want from a Spawn movie? Mm-hmm. So again, here's my thing. W- what I'm trying to say on on the point you just eloquently recaptured is there was there was a a version of you who loved this character mm-hmm. that didn't need the elements of an R rating, right? So. Most of us – I know there's a lot of younger listeners out there, but most of us met Venom through some kind of comic book that could not do uh, what an R-rated movie can. Make sense? Sure, absolutely. So I think there is still a part of me that can go back to that place and say, it's just really fun to watch Venom run around and be goopy and have big teeth and talk about eating livers. And I can enjoy it that way. I don't need – Whatever element it is that they're looking for to get the R, I don't need gorier violence, boobs, more cuss words. I can just go yeah. and be like, this is how I first fell in love with this character mm-hmm. and return to it. Now, I, I actually think Deadpool's in a different category. Deadpool, um, I think, is probably challenging to some parents because they're like, well, my kid sees bright colors and superhero stuff and wants to go see it. But Deadpool kind of got popular with the criteria that would make it an R-rated movie if adapted into film. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, yeah, he, absolutely. Took, he took off because of that stuff. It makes much more sense for me to say that character needs those elements to really capture what people love about it. It just sure. and, and, ap- it just doesn't apply to Venom. So anyway,
0: yeah, yeah, and, and for the record, I agree with you on that. Um, I I do, uh, but yeah, I, I guess Spawn was my was my one thing where you're just kind of like, you know, it's it's always been for kids, and it should always be for kids. And I was like, well, I mean, but Spawn, I I was introduced to Spawn as a child. And I can't imagine, I mean, any self-respecting parent should never let their kid watch or read or, you know, anything with Spawn. But, um, yeah,
1: I just, I thought I thought it was a pretty good comparison. It is
0: a with, good comparison. with With Venom.
1: And I think you can do a version of Spawn. I mean, is there a version of Spawn that gets the, uh, you know, I hate to invoke this name, but the Zack Snyder treatment with the, like, this is the edit I really wanted to show you? Sure. Yes. And you can yeah. do that with Venom, too. But just make sure we're all clear. This is the alternative take. The thing we're selling to the mass audience is the thing that the mass audience fell in love with, you know, and then you can take it into a more niche arena. So sure. Yeah. That's where I'm at on Venom. Completely
0: agree with that. Uh, We'll get back into the uh, exit survey here. Number
1: three, what was the most inexplicable moment of the movie for you? This is probably going to be weird, but it really did make me go like, what, what are you talking about? Uh so Venom and Eddie are working together on the like bridge leading up to the the spaceship that's about to go off and mm-hmm. take Riot back to space. Venom explains to Eddie that Riot was a team leader and has all kinds of stuff you can't imagine. Right? Mm-hmm what does a protoplasmic shape-shifting symbiote have over and against another? <laughs> you know, what could I mean, cause as soon as he says that riot, like creates blades or something from his protoplasm, right? Why does he have that? And the other goopy thing doesn't, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, it was really the first time in the movie. I was like, wait, what? So that was the most inexplicable moment of the movie for me. That's fair. Yours.
0: Um, <coughs> I think everything that Michelle Williams does in this movie is inexplicable, <laughs> but her line reading on I'm sorry about Venom was was where I was like, oh, man, <laughs> what is going on?
1: She is not a strength.
0: And that's and that's that's the crazy
1: thing about it. Michelle Williams is a fantastic actress. Absolutely. And when was a lot and, again, like we said with Mia Servino, but infinitely more. When was the last time you looked at Michelle Williams like you didn't really do your job?
0: Yeah. And I just <laughs> um, and and I, I'll, I'll expound on it more here in just a minute. But yeah, just everything she does in this movie, I was just kind of like, oh, honey, <laughs> what are we doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, so. that was one of the criticisms that came out. That I think's legit. That it's just hard you don't buy her and Tom Hardy as being in love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a question uh, here in a minute. Number five, or no, excuse me. Number four, finish this sentence. Tom
1: Hardy was playing Eddie Brock as if he had brain damage long before I thought that was justified. Okay. Uh, it's another question that comes up, but the the one thing with Tom Hardy's characterization that I didn't really, I, I don't hate, but I wasn't over the moon about is that just some of his mannerisms and his vocal patterns and whatnot seem to me like somebody who'd suffered a head injury. And it would make sense to me for him to do that after Venom has invaded his consciousness. And now he's having this running conversation with a voice he can only hear. But he, you know, the scene where she's like, you got ran out of New York and he's like, hey, I didn't get run out of New York. It, I just, I've never met anybody who talked that way or delivered their dialogue that way um, that wasn't wrestling with something up upstairs that makes sure. sense. Yeah. So I, I don't hate the performance. I just thought it was an odd choice. Mm-hmm. You would say Tom Hardy was what? The perfect actor to play Eddie and
0: Venom. Okay. Uh, the guy, in my opinion, Tom Hardy overcommits in this movie. Uh, and not only overcommits, but is almost overconfident in his overcommitment. And it works in a delightful way in this movie.
1: Well, I am with you from the moment we get him six months later. yeah the The stuff before that I thought was weird because again, he's supposed to be this hard-hitting uh, super serious journalist, right? Mm-hmm. But by the time he's down on his luck, wrestling with this new consciousness, to the, to the finished product of the guy who's like, yeah, this is happening. You know, he and I are going to rule the world together. I'm with you entirely. So uh, maybe I'm talking to both sides of my mouth, but you're right. Tom Hardy is perfect for this.
0: Yeah. Um, also, uh, Eddie, my dude, no one looks in the newspaper for, for jobs anymore. Just go on Indeed.com. You you have a great res- resume. Just upload that mess. Like you're giving 20 bucks to homeless people. Surely you've got enough money for Wi-Fi. Just uh just just uh, get on indeed.com or career builder or, or some mess. You don't have mm. to scrounge
1: around in the newspapers anymore, buddy. Yeah, look in the newspapers how you end up with a dishwasher job. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, I also thought it was great that he voiced the, the symbiote. He voiced Venom. Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. That is great.
0: Yeah. Uh yes, yeah. so he voiced he voiced Venom and then they had his They had it rigged up where he had an earpiece and the venom voice spoke to him during the filming of the movie.
1: Oh, dude. So I just got done listening to an interview with John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. He was talking about early in his career what he learned from Sean Penn as an actor. Okay. And he said, here's a tip. When you're doing a scene where you're on the phone, Sean Penn insists that there always be someone on the other end of the phone that he is actually talking to. Sure. And he said, it's daylight and dark. If you watch a scene where that's not what's taking place, it just it completely looks unnatural. Yeah. And I didn't know what you just told me, but that's why it seems like he's actually talking to another intelligent. Because he mm. had an injury, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, good job, Tom Hardy. Yeah,
0: uh, number five. What is Venom's sickest burn?
1: I don't know if it's the sickest burn, but it's the one that got the biggest pop in the crowd uh, when I was watching it, and and made me laugh too. So they've just broken into Eddie's former employer's <laughs> office. <laughs> yeah, and they're looking at the window they just shattered to get in there, and Venom's voice says, "Jump!" And right. the next thing you see is Tom Hardy pushing the button on an elevator. And uh, we're a family-friendly podcast. I'm not going to repeat the word that Venom drops in his ear, but sissy. Yes, yes, that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, uh, cracked me up. crack my whole audience. You know, the people I was watching up. I was watching the movie with up. So that's what I'm going to go with.
0: Yeah, I, I I think there's no contest on that one. It's really good. And uh, to get the un, unrated version of that, you just need to go watch the movie because it, it, in my opinion, is the the best uh, comedic break in the entire movie. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree uh-huh. more. Uh, number six, who had better chemistry, Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams or Tom Hardy and Venom?
1: Well, now that I know that Tom Hardy did Venom as well, I guess it's Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams or Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy. Uh, right. Clearly Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy. Yeah, man.
0: The uh, So this this is one of the the things that I, I had uh, an issue with at this movie. Uh, and you and I talked about it before. It seemed like The breakup between Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams' character happens so quickly. You don't really get a sense uh, that these characters even remotely like each other. They have the chemistry of like two coworkers mm-hmm. more than they do uh, a couple that are about to be engaged to be married, you, you know, and, and I don't know if it's time constraints or, you know, Hey, we just want to get to Venom or whatever the situation is. But if you're wanting me to start to care about this relationship, they need to be together longer than a hot second before Michelle Williams goes, I can't believe you went behind my back. This is the worst thing you've ever done. We're over mm-hmm. because I just, I, I remember being in the theater and I looked at my buddy who went with me and I was like, man, that went quick. Like that was a really quick turn and it didn't even seem like it was that big of an issue, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I know like privacy and, you know, things like that, that, that is a huge issue, but it just, I don't know, just it seemed so minute and then she just made a huge deal about it. I just wish that it could have been a little more, well, there could have been a little more focus on that, Um. you know, but Hey, a- at one point in this movie, all three of them are, Uh, making out. So I guess maybe all three of them have great chemistry together.
1: That is a very weird dynamic about this movie for sure. Um, I guess maybe the less said about that, the better. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we'll move on. Uh,
0: Number seven. What do you think happens in the 30 to 40 minutes of venom that was cut from the movie that Tom Hardy has said was his favorite parts of the movie?
1: (sighs) Well, so I kind of did a little digging on this because it was pretty provocative when it came out. And I can't remember who first had it, but somebody asked him, what were your favorite parts of this movie? He said, all my favorite parts were cut out of this movie.
0: Which is obviously what you want your star of a a series, you know, of a movie that you're hoping to get a, a franchise out of says in the first movie.
2: Mm hmm.
1: So he did follow up on that very specifically. And I don't know if it was the studio being like, get out here and fix this. Or if he, (laughs) you know, I think Hardy has integrity. So I'm willing to believe that this was his own thoughts. And what he said in the interview, which I need to find so I can drop it on our social media and whatnot. Other people can look at it. But he basically said, I just wanted more of Venom being Venom. And it was, you know, it was stuff where Venom was off doing Venom things. It's what I'm expecting is in that. And if that's the case, we'll sign me up for the, for the Blu-ray that has that put back in. I mean, if it's just venom bounding around the city, beating up on people, I could watch 40 more minutes of that. Mm -hmm. What do you think's going on there?
0: I, I hope that it's that I have no idea, man. I mean, we saw all sorts of crazy stuff in this movie, right? Like Mm -hmm. he ate day old chicken out of the trash can and he ate a bag of frozen tater tots. And, we saw Venom eat people's faces, and I mean, there's there's a lot of crazy stuff in this movie. So I have no idea what the other stuff is. If if that's what Tom is saying, then I hope that's what it is. And, and I agree with you. I would be happy to watch thirty or forty more minutes of Venom going around doing Venom things.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, they they gave it away in the trailer, which is usually a gripe of mine. But that ending scene where Brock and Venom are just, you know, day, down from day one in harmony uh-huh. and uh, he attacks that store robber. And who are you? We're Venom. And you get the half mask, half not, you know, and. He, he tells him he'll eat all his body parts and face off like that is perfect. It really is mm-hmm. perfect. And if there's some version of that where he's like, "Where else is an you know a bad person? I'll go eat their organs. I'm there. You know, just, let's just. It, it's almost like an open world video game, like Grand Theft Auto or something. Just move him to another place and let him do the same thing. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I'm really upset that they ended the movie that way and showed it in the trailer.
1: Well. Yeah, you I mean you're talking to the guy who has a pathological hatred for trailers, so I'm I'm with you, bud.
0: I just I just couldn't believe that was the way that it ended. And I remember when it happened, I was like, You gotta be kidding me. Why would you show the ending of your movie in the trailer? I mean, it is the quintessential Venom moment, obviously. But why show that in the trailer if that's going to be the thing that you end on?
1: Mm, that's a that's a fair question, dude. Trailers, so uh, trailers are the most inexplicable device in modern Hollywood, even more yeah. than than Fishmen in Del Toro's world. I mean, <laughs> I just don't get why they use them the way they do. Yeah. Uh, number eight. Why they do Jenny Slate like that? Yeah, that's that's weird casting and just doesn't play to her strengths. I mean, she was fine. Yeah. But that's not what you cast Jenny Slate to do. No. So I Uh, I don't know.
0: I thought, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I felt like that Jenny Slate's character in this movie was basically her character in Zootopia with a better sense of morality.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, (laughs) I don't have anything to add to it, but I like that.
0: Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, she's she's a wonderful actress, mm-hmm. and I I don't understand why they gave um, Michelle Williams' boyfriend, who you could have, and, and I love Dan Egan from Veep. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters, but he's essentially just another Ken doll in this. He gets more screen time than Jenny Slate's character, and then she gets done dirty. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's a it's a sad world. That's
1: what I'm trying to say. Sure.
0: Uh, all right, we're almost there. Number nine is Eddie
1: Brock a good journalist? I mean, I, not if you not if you need to get stories published. But <laughs> you know that that you made this point brilliantly earlier. That guy clearly, if if that scenario plays out with a truth telling journalist who has name recognition, uh, that guy immediately pivots to a private YouTube channel, doesn't he? Yeah. And just keeps doing what he's doing uh, yeah. rather than trying to wash dishes or whatever or, you know, try to get an anonymous gig writing for some paper under a pen name. He he just says, well, uh, they wouldn't let me they wouldn't let me get at the truth. And so I'm going rogue. And that becomes his platform. So, yeah. I mean, I'm again we're overthinking it, but yes, there's real questions about the realism of him as a journalist.
0: <laughs> also, what what year is this movie made when he goes, Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do much of uh, you know, the the TV shows and stuff anymore. I think I'm gonna focus on the written word. Uh newspapers are dead, pal. Mm-hmm. Like get your like Jeff said, get your YouTube channel and make those hits, make that money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking AdSense and monetizing views. That's exactly what he'd be doing. Yeah. So I think uh, I think he's a good journalist, but I think you know needs a needs a better manager. Needs like yeah, he needs
0: he he needs a good editor.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully someone who's like a millennial who uh, who's like, oh, there is a whole digital world we can we can get you into, buddy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, the dude in the three piece suit who sits in the corner office of the high tower that views the San Francisco high rise. I just don't feel like he was the right guy for Eddie.
1: He's no J. Jonah Jameson. I'll tell you that you
0: doggone right on that. Uh, and then finally, number 10, man, thoughts on a sequel.
1: I mean, as soon as possible, as right. soon as stinking impossible. Uh you, you love maximum carnage. I love the comic book series that's based on. Um Woody Harrelson's perfect. You and I have talked about this, I think. If Woody Harrelson plays Cletus Cassidy just as the same character uh that that uh Woody Harrelson played in Natural Born Killers, it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Just make it tomorrow. You just you just cashed out the box office this opening weekend. Get everybody back into the studio tomorrow and let's get this thing going.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh the more I get to see Woody Harrelson in that ridiculously awful red wig, I'm
1: uh I'm all for it. Take my money. Yeah, Redneck Hannibal Lecter. I mean, every bit of that works. So, please get on this sequel.
0: Yeah. Um I that that middle scene was just terrific. Um the in the credits that middle credit scene where Woody, you know, is playing uh, Cassidy. There's not a there's not another actor I can think of that I that I think could could play that part and play it as well as Woody Harrelson. Now think about this, man, we're going to see two hours of Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson trying to overcommit and outact the other one, man, just, I mean, just take my money
1: for sure. I mean, really that movie could be three hours long and it wouldn't be too much for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the scene in uh, man of steel where Superman fights Zod and you just, it looks like the city is infinite and they just destroy everything. Give me that with Venom and Carnage, yeah, and uh, I'll just be—I'll just be happy.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And if somehow in Venom Three we can integrate Tom Holland in as Spider-Man
1: and bring Venom into the MCU, I think that would be perfect. Oh, it'd be delightful, absolutely delightful. Surely they're gonna—I mean, they have a license to print money with that. Again, you know, the critics can keep their opinions. The audiences showed up and and evaluated this movie very positively. Let's just run with it and tell the tell the critics to stick you know stick a hundred dollar bill up their nose because that's what this movie's making. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, you, you know it, it overperformed this weekend at the box office. Projections were, uh, I, I believe it was sixty five to seventy million dollars at the box office uh, this past weekend. It made eighty million dollars, um, and that was off of the you know off the hinges of all these horrible reviews. And apparently, even Lady Gaga's monsters—her fans that called themselves the monsters—were trying to uh, bring in reviews and stuff, according to rumored innuendo, to bring the movie down. It still made eighty million dollars. Uh, it's it's going to be, I would imagine, in the top five uh, in the box office this weekend. I don't see anything that's going to, you know, kind of knock it down. Uh, obviously, Halloween next week is going to destroy everything. But for right now, man. Venom is is riding the riding the wave on top. So yeah, and I love that. I love that because you know what, suck it critics. Like this is a good movie and you you just couldn't see past your nose to see the, the valuableness of it.
1: Yep. Yep. Amen. Hey, and so since I mean this is a horror movie podcast, I'm mm-hmm. gonna ask her a question. Um, do we see something scary? And I thought this movie proved that a a superhero horror movie is going to work. Whenever somebody decides to actually do it, it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how much you resonated with it, but, you know, when... When Riot takes over the ambulance driver and just kind of has her zombie shuffle into town, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: when the little girl comes into the lab and it's sort of, you know, the the possessed child trope, Mm -hmm. I thought this movie really worked. I mean, uh, again, not to just bash on it, but I thought those two scenes were scarier than anything I saw in The Nun.
2: yeah. Yeah,
0: especially with uh, the way her her bones were mm-hmm. jacked up, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, I, I cringed. I cringed at that more than I cringed in a good way over
1: anything in the nun. Yeah, there's this, um, you know, the scary lab scene where like his friend, the, the homeless lady. Uh, jumps on him and attacks him. I mean, there's a lot of possession elements in this movie that, that I thought worked. They weren't anything like innovative or, uh, you know, charting new territory, but they were better than a lot of the possession movies I've seen. Yeah. So I I am going to say, I don't know if, I don't know if our regular listeners will think I'm selling the the concept of the show down the river, but I think I saw something scary in this movie. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. So there you go. Send your hate tweets to us. Yeah, I'm I'm down for it. You let me know what you think. Uh, scale of one to ten, Jeff. Where would you put this? I think I told you a heavy six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's where I'm at. You know, it it may bleed over into seven depending on my mood and how how much I want to watch some Venom. But. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six and a half to seven somewhere in that in that category. Totally um, pro- probably leaning more towards seven. Like I I legitimately sat down um, with my with my drink and my popcorn and watched this movie and had just the ball watching the movie. Yes, and, absolutely. You know, and, and again, it, it's one of those things like when we talked about The Predator. Man, sometimes movies don't have to be these end-all, be-all, um, you know, change-the-world type movies. Or they don't have to be, you know, again, they don't have to be The Dark Knight. I just, I watched The Dark Knight um, Saturday night again. So I watched Venom on Friday, and then I have a tradition where every October the 6th, the day before my birthday, I watch... Um, I watched the Dark Knight. And man, I enjoyed I mean, I'll always enjoy the Dark Knight, but I, I sat there watching The Dark Knight going, Man, Venom's nowhere near as good as this movie, but I had just as much fun watching that movie as I did watching the Dark
1: Knight. Yeah, in a different way, right? I mean Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, in a completely different way.
1: I, I referenced it earlier, but very much the same experience I had with Ant Man and the Wasp for me. This was a darker yeah. palette version of that, but man, it was just a fun ride and it's a ride I'm gonna take again sometime.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I uh don't know what I don't know what version of this movie the critics saw, but they saw the wrong version of it. This movie is a lot of fun, especially if you are a fan of the comic. If 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 the comic mm-hmm. book uh character made an impact in your life like it did mine and Jeff's, then I definitely recommend going to see this movie. Um, and, and, you know, if you, if, even if you're not a comic book fan, but you like comic book movies, uh, again, like this is good. This is second tier comic book movie type of stuff. It's not, you know, it's not the, the, the classics, but it's, it's good. It's, it's, and it's fun. And you're know, right now with the way that the world is, and I don't mean to be, um, you know, Uh, I don't know, negative or anything, but just the way that the world is going right now. Sometimes it's nice to just go into a movie theater with a bunch of people in there with a Coke and a popcorn and watch
1: a movie. That's just fun. This movie certainly fulfills that desire for sure. hundred percent. So
0: I am, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we watched this movie. I'm glad that we had the chance to review this movie. Um, I, I love this character. I love the fact that Tom Hardy got to play it and he played it uh, with as much craziness as possible. And I look forward to the next one. And, and I can't wait to see Cletus Cassidy and uh, and, and Eddie Brock go round and round and, and the carnage
1: that will ensue. Absolutely agree. Hey, just two things for people who may want more. Um, you know, some of the critics have said the better version of this movie is a movie that came out not too long ago called Upgrade where uh, a guy has prosthetics that um, that have an artificial intelligence component, and he's you know dealing with the artificial intelligence competing with his own will. So again, that movie's Upgrade. I haven't seen it, but it's referenced enough that I think I'm going to go track it down. And then for those of you who are comic book heads, uh, I usually don't like Venom when he's not with Eddie Brock, but there's a what-if story called What If the Punisher? Uh, got the Venom Symbiote. And it's one of the comic books I have read the most in my lifetime. Uh, So, uh, uh, you know, The Punisher is not really a favorite character of mine, but... Uh that what if issue where he gets the symbiote really really works, so yeah.
0: okay cool yeah i would be interested to to see what that is um hey r- real quick while we're while we're here, did you feel like that Riz Ahmed was trying to do like his best Elon Musk impression, yeah, in this movie,
1: yeah, clearly that's who he was trying to model, and he was just a little heavy handed for me again, not something I hate. But but when he delivers the line that like God abandoned us, but I won't abandon us this time, it's just a little too on the nose for me. Right. Uh, But I mean, it's a small criticism that guy did what they asked of him.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, if somehow he came back, I would be, I would be all right with that.
1: Sure. Sure. Give me a ride. Yeah. You know, he, that, that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, then the last thing I've got on this and we'll put a bow on it, but, uh, you know, I keep talking about overcommitting. Tom Hardy, overcommitting in this, in this role. Do you really like watching it and sh- just trying to replay it in my head? It reminds me of two different actors who went all in on stuff. And you tell me if I'm, if I'm mistaken or not. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Bruce Campbell in the Evil Dead movies. And the second one is Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean,
1: the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I think you've identified the poles. Yeah. Like he's in between them most of the time, but he's sort of being pulled towards one of the others. So like the, um, the restaurant scene, that's Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. The... Um, the the scene like in the woods after he's got the symbiote back from Anne and he's trying to sort things out and get a game plan together. He's over on Jack Sparrow's territory. So yeah, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. I, I I endorse your evaluation there and think that those are like the grandparents to this character. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: So all right man I think that we have uh, I think we've said enough about this movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you have seen it, hit us up on the Facebook group We Saw Something Scary and let us know what you thought about it. Uh did Jeff and I have we overrated it? Have we underrated it? What do you think of Tom Hardy? What do you think of Michelle Williams? What did you think of Riz Ahmed? Uh just let us know and I'll be curious to hear all about your thoughts on on this one. It's uh I like I said, man. I, I had a ball watching this movie, and if honestly, I've been off work for the last three days, and and every day I've given a great deal of thought of just driving back to the movie theater and watching it again. It's completely and, worth
1: it, man. It's completely yeah. worth rewatch. I I will probably end up buying this movie. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I I agree. This will probably be one that I own for sure. So, all right, Jeff. That's going to do it, man. Uh, Where can they find you on social media? At Right Jeff, most platforms. If you are interested, and you can find me at Derek Zoo on uh, most social media platforms. We're at Scary Podcast on Twitter. Again, the aforementioned we saw something scary Facebook group. Uh, we also have a Reddit if you're into that or a subreddit rather, if you're into Reddit forward slash R, forward slash sauce something scary. We're on Letterboxd. Uh what's the what's the tag on Letterboxd? I'm scary my podcast,
1: I'm pretty sure. Okay.
0: There you go. So we're all over the place, man. Uh good old fashioned email, sauce of the scary at gmail.com. And of course you can find all of our archives at sauce of dot com. Do us a huge favor, man. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts. And hit that five star review or whatever review that you feel like is adequate for us, and uh, put in you know put a little comment in. Tell us what you like, what you dislike about the shows. We're always looking for constructive criticism and things that we can improve, or things that you love that we can continue to do. So um so yeah thank you for for that. And Jeff, we're about to hit a good stretch my man. oh we, man we got, I
1: cannot wait dude. yeah we got
0: we got venom in the can now. next week we'll be doing a uh, house or excuse me the haunting of Hill house which <laughs> comes out yeah, comes out this Friday. Uh,
1: I assume that we're going to do the entire what is it 10 episodes. Yeah, I think we got to. I, I think okay. Friday's got to be dedicated to just plowing through that thing. And yeah, okay. Um,
0: all right, so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna try to. Well, we're gonna do the entire ten episodes of uh, of that. The nineteenth is uh, obviously Halloween, um, and then I wanted to throw this out at you, and and it doesn't have to be like our the episode or, or whatever the situation is, but I was thinking that week of Halloween. We do um, we do a segment of the show where people tell us in the in the Facebook group some of their scariest moments that have ever happened to them.
1: Yeah, uh, dude. That'd
0: and we and uh, so what I'm thinking is this, you can either put it in the Facebook group. Or if you want, and and Jeff, tell me if this is a bad idea because you'll be the one uh, with the editing. Leave us a uh, leave us a voice message. You you know everyone's got the recorder on their phone. Uh, just do like a little five minute recording or whatever it is, and send it to us, and we'll put it in the episode. I've got a great scary story that is a hundred percent true that I've told Jeff before, and I have kind of teased here on the, on the show a few times in the past, a couple of people have reached out to me and been like, Hey, we really want to hear this uh, story. So I'm willing to put that out there too. So you, you tell me, Jeff, how do you, how do you think we should run it?
1: Well, I really love the idea of playing people's, um, you know, their own recordings and uh, I will make that happen. If people want to send us voice clips, I'll figure out how to get it in here. Um, I I think your story is great. I think we, we feature that one and then whatever else we get, we, we chip into the, you know, to the pile that we eventually use for our podcast. Um, Here's one option that we've mentioned before that uh, doesn't get a lot of attention, but we have a phone number for our podcast through Google voice. Oh yeah. Forgot about that. And you can leave voicemails for us on uh, that, that, phone line and I would love to play your voicemail on our podcast. So if you're interested in leaving us a voicemail with the scariest thing that ever happened to you, get your pen and write this number down. It is 615-486-4138. Again, that number is 615-486-4138. Call and give us a voicemail about uh your scariest moments and you will be featured on our podcast along with Derek zoo's quite horrifying tale as well.
0: Yeah. So we'll do that. We'll we'll try to, you know, we'll see what the, um, what the traffic is on that. And if it's, you know, if it's worth doing a whole episode about that, we can do a whole episode about that. Just kind of a niche Halloween episode. If not, then we'll figure out a movie to do and, and we'll take care of that. But anyway, man, Halloween, October is my favorite month of the year. Uh, we've got some great content coming for you this month and, uh, I am pumped about Flanagan, I'm pumped about Halloween, and uh, I'm pumped to tell that story. So, three really great weeks of stuff coming your way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, cannot wait. So, yeah, let's get it
0: going. All right, man. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure, bud. Same here, and, Derek. And we will uh we'll talk to you guys next week about the uh, the haunting of Hill House. Until then, for Jeff Wright, this is Derek zoo reminding you to stay away from clowns and sewers,
2: blind people with turkey basters, and white people with teacups. We'll see you guys back here next week. Bye, bye, man.